Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week five is in the books, and what a week it was. How are you, sir? Did you enjoy the games? Mm. Mostly. I know there's one game you didn't enjoy. There's one I certainly did not enjoy. <laughs> well, Mike, we have a ton that we need to talk about here tonight. Um, really some good like midpoints for some of these teams to kind of check in and take inventory on what they are. So yep. uh, without further ado, let's just jump right in and let's just jump right into that game that you're not going to really enjoy talking about. Why would we start hmm. with something fun for you? Um, <laughs> number eight, North Carolina, 56. Number 19, Virginia Tech, 45. Uh, this game turned into a complete and total shootout. Uh, it was, for what it's worth, as a neutral observer, it was fun to watch. Um, it, you know, a lot of points, a lot of you know, big plays up and down the field, and all this. But um, certainly, Mike, not how you envision this going for the Hokies. Not a great afternoon, and and really, I think my maybe my bigger takeaway here from this game, Mike, is I think we found UNC. We found them. Yeah, we found them. Um, I bet the under. Let's so, see. Well, I think Virginia Tech stayed under the total for the game by themselves. So barely. That. Barely. I think it was at uh, 54 and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, North Carolina did went over that by themselves. Yeah, they went over that by themselves. So, yeah, awesome stuff there. Um, yeah, teams combined for 101 points in this game. It just didn't really go how I don't think either one of us expected. Nope. It, even if we thought it was going to be a little shootout, I don't think we saw 56-45 on the card. No. Um, not with the way Virginia Tech's defense, uh, it, at least the defensive line, had looked the first couple of weeks, and not the way North Carolina's offense had looked the first couple of weeks either um, that they had played. So a couple takeaways here. Number one, Braxton Burmeister started this game. He was so-so. At best. Um, at best. He was not great. Uh, Virginia Tech did not give the ball to Khalil Herbert much at all in the first quarter. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to give him the ball. He ended up rushing in this game for 138 yards and two touchdowns. Obviously, he's a big reason why uh, Virginia Tech got themselves back into the game the second time because it happened twice in this game. Um, Virginia Tech defensively was just so, so, so bad. So bad. And, you know, I see people blaming the, you know, COVID-19 catching up with them. And I think that's totally fair. Um, in, in the effort to not make any excuses, Virginia Tech was only missing two starters yesterday. One of them was Divine Diablo, starting free safety, a fifth-year senior. So that really hurts a lot. The other was a true freshman, Keontae Jenkins, who had played really well in the first two games of the year for Virginia Tech. Um, the issue for the Hokies here and, and I'm going to blame this on COVID is for the guys they did have back. I'm talking Alan Tisdale at linebacker, 
Um, you know, you talk about the defensive front and some guys that they had uh, missing from a depth standpoint that they were getting back, and especially guys in the secondary, Jermaine Waller coming back off an ankle injury, um, getting uh, Jamari Connor back was huge. Armani Chapman was back. Like there were guys who were present in the secondary that hadn't played last week. And that's significant. But the thing that hurts Virginia Tech too is that a lot of these guys just hadn't practiced either, right? So they had been in quarantine and you're missing practice time. Eventually that stuff catches up with you. But with all that being said, that wasn't the issue with Virginia Tech yesterday defensively. It was just being gap sound was not a thing. Like they especially, you know, defensive line linebackers front seven was just really, really bad. Um, too many gaping holes. Give credit to North Carolina's offensive line and the running backs, certainly. But a lot of this goes to on Virginia Tech schematically just not being ready to play. And that was really frustrating. North Carolina accumulates over 650 yards in this game. They score 56 points. You're not going to win a lot of games that way. And for Virginia Tech to put up nearly 500 yards of offense and 45 points and to storm back the way that they did and to lose that game is pretty disheartening on one hand, just with the defensive performance. But offensively, you know, Hendon Hooker comes in for one drive in the first half. They go three and out, um, but then plays essentially the entire second half. He goes seven of 13 for 136 yards and two touchdowns. Looked really, really good. And the offense looked really good as a result. You know, Virginia Tech went on a 23 nothing run in the third quarter. Um, UNC scored late in the third. Uh, but Virginia Tech got themselves back into the game twice. It was 21 nothing in the first half. Tech fights back, cuts it to one score. North Carolina scores two more times before halftime in the last four minutes. Every time the Hokies needed a stop on defense, they just didn't get it. Same was true in the second half. It was 42-17 to at one point. Virginia Tech comes storming back. Um, it's 42 to 37 and you're looking at this game and you're saying, look, if Virginia Tech can get a stop, they can actually take the lead and potentially win this football game with as poorly as they played defensively. They just never got that stop, Joey. And that was just kind of the case all afternoon. Every time they needed a stop, they didn't get it, but the offense played well enough to keep them in the game and keep propelling them forward. Obviously really good day from Khalil Herbert. Once he started getting more touches, I thought Braxton Burmeister was actually pretty good running the football when he was in, in the first half. But Tech got down so quickly, and then defensively, it's it's like the defense didn't even board the bus to Chapel Hill with how bad it was. Mm-hmm. And they got to clean that up quickly. I see a lot of Virginia Tech fans on social media, Joey, talking about you know the offensive play calling in the first quarter, not getting uh, Khalil Herbert the ball enough, and not starting Hendon Hooker right out of the gate. I get all that, and that's an easy thing to point to when you see the offense struggling early in the game and not playing too well. But when the defense gives up 650 yards and 56 points, at some point you got to point the finger over there too. And Virginia Tech has been conditioned because they had Bud Foster as defensive coordinator. The fans have been conditioned to not blame the defense for like 30 years. But now it's a new defensive coordinator. It's a new scheme. Defense didn't play well yesterday. I don't think the finger gets pointed at the offense. Virginia Tech is seventh in the country even after yesterday. Seventh in the country in yards per play. Mm-hmm. They're 71st out of 76 FBS teams that have played in yards per play allowed. Yep. That's on the defense. The defense is the reason they lost the game yesterday. So you got to get that cleaned up. But overall, North Carolina, don't want to take anything away from them. Offensively, they're really good. Michael Carr, Javante Williams went off, had huge games. Sam Howell was outstanding. And it was just uh, a very strong all-around performance from North Carolina. And Virginia Tech defensively just wasn't ready. 
Yeah. No, it's it's hard to defend the defense very much. Uh, defend the defense, nice one. Um, when, when North Carolina had the ball 12 times in this game, uh, one of them was a turnover on downs at the very end of the game. The other 11 drives, eight touchdowns, three punts. Like, yep. you, you forced three punts and gave up eight touchdowns on those 11 drives. Like, that's not... That's just not going to work. Um, I, I will say, I, I thought Virginia Tech really did a nice job owning the third quarter. Um, came out, kicked a field goal on their first drive, give up a touchdown to UNC, but then go in four plays, 75 yards, touchdown, then have a pretty a pretty sneaky, well-called onside kick that caught everybody off guard, steal a possession there, score another touchdown, then get a three and out from UNC, and then score another touchdown. And that's what pulled the game, Mike. To within that forty-two to thirty-seven, you know, it, it was looking like this was going to be a game going into the fourth quarter, and then uh, to to borrow a phrase from Jeff Collins, defense kind of let go of the rope a little bit in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I'd say. It, you know, I, I I thought North Carolina had a really good game plan, um, even in the running game. You talked about gap fits and that kind of thing. Like North Carolina was attacking the perimeter; they were running a lot of stretch plays. It was like they were going after that secondary. In, with the run game, it was kind of a weird thing to say or think, but um, they were they were getting the ball to the edge in every way that they could. Uh, Michael Carter, Javante Williams combined to have just a ridiculous game. Uh, they combined for 37 carries, 383 yards, and four touchdowns on the ground. Yep, that'll play. That that'll work. Um, so I I was impressed with North Carolina. Like we've mentioned, I mean they've been really like sleepy just kind of sleepwalking through games you know the, the two that we've seen them play so far this is by far the best game that they've played top to bottom um, by far even defensively I mean they weren't perfect once again Virginia Tech had a good day on offense they scored a lot of points all that um, but North Carolina's defense played a big role uh, at times getting a stop here and there and and you saw some you just a flash here or there of what they can be so um, hats off to North Carolina they look great new poll has them what at fifth overall Mike I'm not there. I'm not with that. Are you? Uh, I'd have to see who's one through four, but I have a feeling it's going to be a one of these things is not like the other kind of situation. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I think North Carolina can be good. I think I. I still think that. I mean, I don't know. Nine and one or whatever is on the table for them. But I, I don't know that I'd put them in that group up there with Clemson and Alabama and I, I don't know. I guess they Georgia. jumped Florida here. Georgia, yeah. yeah I, I wouldn't Notre, do that. Notre Dame's Notre Dame's four right now. Um, I guess we'll get to find out on that one. We'll get to find out there. I, I, we talked about this in the in the preseason with North Carolina. How I thought that they were a little bit overhyped because I don't think I'm going to be totally truthful. I don't think they're very good defensively. I don't. Um, Probably they, about as they, good as they have to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with with this offense they have, they don't necessarily need to be very good defensively. That's the thing about North Carolina, right? Like, and, and to be honest with you, that's the thing about Virginia Tech too. <laughs> it's the defense only has to be so good mm-hmm. because the offense is going to score so many points. Yeah, so many points. Um, so with North Carolina, you get past this shootout with Virginia Tech, and really now you got to get past Notre Dame later, and this is a schedule that fits North Carolina really well this year because the defense isn't very good and the offense can outscore basically everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think North Carolina is still probably a year away from being like real, real good. Fully like weaponized North Carolina. Football, fully weaponized, like well-balanced both sides of the football because I don't think they're there defensively. Like stopping Boston College and Syracuse, that doesn't 
<laughs> that doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. Right. Um, and they weren't particularly good yesterday. Like you said, like they got stops when they needed to, but you let Virginia Tech back in the game twice. You let a good offense back in twice. Like you can't let that happen. Uh, but North Carolina's got a softer schedule. They're going to be able to win a lot of games this year, but they're still probably a year away from being the team that everybody thinks they are right now. Mm-hmm. And I still believe that. Really good offensively, extremely high ceiling, not excellent defensively. And I think that's going to catch up to them eventually. They'll still be really good this year. They have an awesome team. I don't want to take anything away, but I don't think they're the fifth best team in the country. Now, Mike, I will say I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that I think I picked North Carolina to win this game in the preseason. You did. And I think I've got North Carolina going to the ACC championship. Now, for what it's worth, the important part of that pick is the schedule. It is that they don't have to play Clemson. Most of everything they do is is manageable, and the stuff that's going to be tough is pretty well spread out. Right. So... That's that's kind of my thinking, but I do think that they are are good enough to handle all those challenges, especially if they play like they did yesterday. It's at least at least offensively. I mean, truthfully, like yeah, say what we will about the defense, and the defense is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's got a lot to work on there, but offensively, like that's probably one of the seven or eight best offenses in the country when it is really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, right now, statistically, it's even better than that. It's a top three offense in the country from a yards per play standpoint. Right. So, I mean, and and to kind of fully contextualize this, Virginia Tech is seventh in the country after yesterday in yards per play. Mm -hmm. So this was, it had all the makings of a shootout, but I think you and I both expected the defenses for both teams to play a little bit better than they did. I, I certainly, certainly with Virginia Tech, it was just so abhorrent how bad it was. Yeah. If you had told me coming in that there was going to be 101 points, I would have thought that this would be another like six overtime game like they played last year. Agree, agree. I didn't think it would be all done in regulation. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, good win for North Carolina. I think they have a really good team, just maybe not elite yet, and that's yeah. not me throwing shade. That's me just kind of being truthful with the state of the defense. But they got plenty of time to change that, so let's see how that pans out. Last thought here is I, I do think coming out of this game and looking at these two teams that we were correct to think that these are two of the best teams in the ACC. Agree. I mean, I I don't really come away from this game thinking that Virginia Tech's going to have a bad season or something like that, yeah. like where Virginia Tech lost the opener to BC last year, and you and I were like, uh-oh, this could be a problem, mm-hmm. and it was. Um I don't come away from this game, this loss for Virginia Tech, thinking that all of a sudden they're going to be like a four or five loss team. Yeah. I, I think that they'll be favored in most games, save for Miami and Clemson, and they still could even be favored against Miami, depending on the trajectory of both teams between now and then. So we'll see. Yep. North Carolina 56, Virginia Tech 45. Speaking of Miami, Mike, um, they had a big old primetime matchup, uh, college game day treatment, all that against Clemson. Yep. Didn't go great for Miami. Just kind of kind of the way that we didn't. thought it wasn't going to go great for them. It didn't, but I don't come away from this, and we have a lot of Miami fans who listen to this, and I don't know how they're going to feel about the statements I'm about to make here. Give it, give it to them, Mike. Give it to them straight. But, Tell them exactly what you think. Truthfully, we I hate Miami. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do. Um, I don't come away from this game extremely disappointed with Miami. No, is that is that weird to say? I no, I mean, I mean, this was exactly kind of what we thought it was. Like Miami's good, and especially like offensively, they are they are good 
relative to most anyone else in the ACC. But as we said, like when you go up against a, a team that is as next level and complete as Clemson, it, it, there is still a gap there big enough to make you look silly. Yeah. I mean, great game plan by Brett Venables. I mm-hmm. mean, De'Ara King was the only Miami rusher worth anything. He had 14 carries for 84 yards. And real quick, 9, 10, 11 carries for 5 yards from all other ball carriers in this game for Miami. That's so right. that's not not going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, De'Ara King throwing the ball down the field was an experience, as we said that it would against the elite defenses that he would have to face. I, I mean, 12-28 for 121 and two interceptions isn't going to get it done against Clemson. And I think that has more to do with Clemson than it does about De'Ara King. But we tried to warn you about the downfield passing game mm-hmm. with Miami. We knew it would probably be a, an issue in this game, and it was. Yeah, I thought Miami's defense, for the most part, hung in there. I mean, look, it, it's 21-10 at halftime, but Miami played tough in the first half defensively. Travis Etienne's like statistics at the end of the game look pretty good. Like he goes 17 carries, 149, two touchdowns, but that includes that one long touchdown run they had, that 72 yarder. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like this dominant performance on the ground for Clemson. Um, they did a pretty good job bottling up Etienne to the point where they were at least making it difficult on him to get 15, 20, 25 yard gains, which Etienne is just one of the best chunk play guys in ACC history mm-hmm. like you give him the ball and it's just in an instant it could be a touchdown yeah and we saw glimpses of that like early in his career but now that he's a senior it's like oh my god every time this guy touches the ball it could be six getting and, yeah getting him the ball in space like his size speed strength is just it's like a cheat code it's ridiculous yeah and and just being able to slow that down enough to make the game interesting I think is an accomplishment in and of itself for Miami completely but but I come away from this just saying look Clemson is just so far and away the best team in the ACC and like maybe Notre Dame gives them a run next month and like makes that game competitive but like I don't think Notre Dame or North Carolina and I think Miami is probably the third best team um, or I guess the fourth best team the ACC third best opponent that Clemson could face. Like, I don't think any of these teams can really give Clemson a run. Um, And that's kind of what I come away from this game thinking Mm -hmm. like Miami. I think the rest of the way I feel comfortable with them against their schedule. We talked about this in the preview, the the preview this week, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about how their schedule sets up favorably with a lot of the teams they have left. I I just wonder now, can Miami kind of regroup and just keep playing good football? Because I think they have a really good team here and a really good baseline. Rhett Lashley, you know, Venables coached circles around Lashley last night. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, like, I'm not sure what else he could do when they completely take away the run. And now you have De'Ara King, who's not a great downfield passer, trying to figure out ways to make plays with the air. I mean, it's a losing proposition. Well, and, and I wanted to defend De'Ara King a little bit on that because as much as – I, I don't think that he is some fail-proof downfield passer, and we've talked about that a little bit. There's some limitations there. In defense of him, man, his receivers were not helping him out in this game. Mm-hmm. They were struggling to get open. There was very little separation, if any. In in so many cases, there were a couple of drops here and there. Like, Derek King, you know, God love him, he tried real hard, but... He did. He, he, he did. Was, he wasn't getting enough help from his supporting cast. Um the other thing I was going to say, too, in, in defense of, of Miami was with their defense, as you mentioned, 
they actually did a pretty damn good job of kind of keeping Clemson's run game in check. Yeah, I agree. You know, you can look at the stat sheet and say, oh, well, they ran for 250 yards and, and, you know, almost six yards per carry and three touchdowns. Like, couldn't have done that well. Well, if you watch the game, yeah, I mean, there was one or two plays where there were pretty big busts. But for the most part, I mean, again, this is a team that can easily pick up yards in chunks against almost anybody. And Miami did a pretty good job of containing that. Yeah. Now, in the passing game, I was laughing my ass off watching Clemson just absolutely toy with Miami's defense. Yeah. Um, I think it was the first touchdown of the game that there was a little, I don't know, the, the offensive line kind of froze in place and Trevor Lawrence rolls to his right and then there's a little throwback. I mean, that was just a sign of things to come. I mean, Clemson was running stuff all night that was just completely abusing the fact that Miami's defense is as aggressive as they are and are willing to over-pursue as they as Over-pursue, they yep. Big-time over-pursuit in a, in a lot of plays last night, especially in like the second the second quarter when Clemson started to make some progress offensively. It was like, oh, God, they're, they're seeing something mm-hmm. with Miami's defense. It was little swing passes to ETN. It was, I mean, it was just... Any little thing, you know, misdirections, all that, that um, this is a defense that usually is fast enough to correct their own mistakes or, you know, this kind of that, this kind of thing. But in this game in particular, Clemson was plenty athletic to take advantage of that. And it was it was really just kind of funny to watch. Um, Thought it was interesting watching Trevor Lawrence in this game. I mean, he was he was great. You know, look at his numbers, 29 of 41, three touchdowns, no picks, almost 300 yards through the air. Like, that's great. Um, I thought it was really interesting, though. I want to say it was like in the like late in the second quarter, maybe a little bit into the third quarter, though. There was a there was a series there down towards the the goal line that I think he had a rushing touchdown, and he was pretty fired up, like jawing yeah. at somebody in a way that I have never seen Trevor Lawrence do that. So I don't know what they were doing necessarily to get in his head. Um, speaking of his head, I guess there was like a targeting penalty on somebody hitting him as he slid, you know, a few plays before that. So, yeah, he got he took a pretty good shot to the ribs on a pass play. And that was where they yeah. called the targeting and he had the wind knocked out of him and he comes back out. And that was like later in, in that same possession where they score that touchdown and he runs it in and he's talking a lot of shit, Joey. Like, and he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, and he was he was talking a lot of noise, and that was uh, I'm here for fired up Trevor Lawrence. Oh yeah, I mean I, he's very cool, calm, and collected, which I think is a really good quality to have in a quarterback. Like never get too high, never get too low, but to see him like run over people that are really athletic four and five star dudes on defense, mm-hmm. and then talk a bunch of smack to them as they're laying on the ground after you just score in the end zone, like. I am here for that. I'm like 100% last thing, here for it. Like, the last thing Clemson needs is more motivation. So if you're talking a lot of trash to Trevor Lawrence and he's giving it back to you, like, I, I'm here for pissed off Clemson because they score about a billion points a game when they do that, and they're really fun to watch. Yeah. Clemson was, like, two yards from adding another touchdown at the end of the game, by the way, for what that's worth. Um, yep, so this could have even were. been worse on the scoreboard. They were running hurry up. The yeah. game was over, and they're running hurry up with their backup quarterback, and they're trying to – not even their primary backup. It was the Foman Chanch guy, um, another really talented quarterback. I, good luck pronouncing his last name. I, I don't know. I was close, right? I was going to say, Mark, Mike, Mike, this is a family program. Like We can't be yeah. saying words like that on here. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I was going to mention, we talked about a couple of penalties from Miami. That was a couple out of 15 penalties they had for 135 yards in this game. Um, they turned it over three times. Like these are things you can't do and then try to go in and upset Clemson. So, yeah, if you have more penalties than more penalty yards and passing yards in a game, you're not going to win said game, especially not against an elite team like Clemson. More penalties than first downs. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. Could have yeah. been better. Not ideal. So this game was kind of what we thought it was, but again, I, I, I'm with you. I think this is more about how good Clemson is rather than Miami having some big fatal flaw. You know, it's right. I I do think Miami, when they go up against good enough defenses, will have some problems offensively because it is just not a complete offense. Um, but what they do really well will work against most any defense that they're going to play for the rest of the year. By the way, if you look at the rest of their slate <laughs> – pretty much everybody else has got defenses that are a couple of steps down from Clemson at the very least. So yeah, I'd say, you know, if, if you can keep it together here, pick yourselves up off the deck, go win next week, you know, get your season, you know, keep it in, in line here a little bit. Miami's going to be real good. They're going to go real far here. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, they have a really good team. I think they'll be real good the rest of the way, because like you said, they don't really face another defense that's anywhere near the same level as Clemson mm -hmm. so yeah I think they'll be pretty good the rest of the way Clemson 42 Miami 17 let's keep going Mike um, Friday night mm -hmm. let's talk about this that was fun you were uh, there I was there Georgia Tech 46 Louisville 27 um, yep. this game was wild there was all yeah you know that uh oh what is his name on Saturday Night Live's weekend update um Seth Myers. No, not Seth Myers. What's the character played by um, Bill Hader? Uh, buh, 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 buh. He's the club reviewer for New York City. Stefan. Yep. Like, this game had everything. Everything. Like, literally, I mean, there were all sorts of wild reviews and turnovers. And, I mean, Louisville fumbled the ball three times. At Georgia Tech picked it up. Um, just big plays from both teams. Um, I, I mean, this was a, a wild game, I thought. But... Uh, Georgia Tech comes out. They score 20 points in the fourth quarter to put the game away uh, and a win by 19 here. I, I, this game was a lot closer than that final score really indicates. Like Tech scored, again, 20 in the fourth quarter, but I think f 14 of that was in the final five minutes of the game or something like that. Yeah. So this was really close, hard fought all the way throughout. Um, I, I was impressed with Georgia Tech, especially offensively. This is the first time – first of all, this is the first time under Jeff Collins they've scored as many as 30 points. Second of all, I, I was really impressed with the fact they were actually able to finish drives in the red zone. You know, you were able to get down there and in in instead of imploding and turning it over and trying to kick a field goal and getting it blocked and crap like this, like you actually punch the ball in the end zone like every time. So that was a, something they hadn't been doing. Absolutely. So that was good, a good feeling and, and a good thing to see. That's, a, you know, development, at least. Um, Jameer Gibbs and Jeff Sims. It, it's it's kind of crazy watching this team and seeing, you know, a couple of just true freshmen and that's like mostly everything that their offense is built around at this point. It's just a couple of true freshmen going out there and just doing it, living life, you know, run, moving the ball all the way down the field. So I, there was a lot that I really liked, and I, I enjoyed watching this game uh, from a Georgia Tech perspective. From a Louisville perspective, <laughs> we need to have a conversation here, Mike. Mm -hmm. Let's Louis have a discussion. Louisville's one in three. The one win was not in conference, so all of their conference games have been losses. Um, Louisville might be sneaky kind of bad here, Mike. Uh, yeah, they're bad defensively. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're real bad defensively. Yep. 
I, and we knew that coming in, but Georgia Tech barely beat Syracuse. Or, I mean, Georgia Tech should have beaten Syracuse. It didn't. Mm-hmm. The Georgia Tech offense was so, 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 so bad in the red zone, like you mentioned. And they were able to kind of rebound this week, and we saw what they were able to do. Louisville's defense not being able to stop Georgia Tech and a bunch of true freshmen, yikes. Not a great look. And this was a team that was a trendy pick to be like a top three or four team in the ACC. Yep. And they have been really disappointing. And I'm concerned about the defense for obvious reasons. I'm also concerned about the offensive line. Hasn't been great. And they're trying to run the ball with Javion Hawkins. He's been, he's a good player, um, but I, I'm concerned about the offensive line. Malik Cunningham's back there getting killed. Name that Malik. Oh, it was decidedly a Malik Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah, decidedly. Decidedly Malik passing an effort in this game. Yeah. He was bad. Um, yeah. 19-33, two touchdowns. It, it well, was not as good as the stat line indicates. Really. I was going to say, that doesn't sound so bad, mm-hmm. but if you watch the game, you saw how badly off target he was on a number of throws. The, the one that killed me in particular was the, the touchdown pass he actually threw to Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell was as wide open as anybody was all night, and he had to dive to catch the ball. Yeah. Like, yep. Cunningham was not good. He was very off target and wasn't contributing a lot in the running game either. Yeah. I just, I have some concerns about Louisville. Mm-hmm. On the Georgia Tech side, look, like, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. When you're building your offense around two true freshmen and Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs, and they show signs of being really freaking good, like right off the bat. Like you're going to get a couple of years down the road here, junior year, senior year, when this Georgia Tech team, after a few years of recruiting under Jeff Collins, and you got some guys who are more experienced in the offense and especially on the defense, that's a recipe for a really, really strong ball club. Mm-hmm. And they have the makings of that with Sims and Gibbs. And you saw what. Jeff Sims is able to do, Joey, when he takes care of the football, especially in the red zone. He's had some terrible red zone turnovers. He's had some inopportune hits that he's taken that we've discussed at length on this podcast. He has played better in spurts, and there's an expectation, I think, moving forward that he's going to be a really, really good player once he figures it all out. I think this was probably the closest we've seen to him being like, like a more mature quarterback. And it's it's almost like he's starting to feel more and more comfortable. Like this is his fourth game and he's starting to see a little bit more out of these ACC defenses. And I don't I try not to put too too much stock into it just because Louisville's defense is so bad. But at the same time, you got to give credit where credit's due because he is a true freshman and he did play well in this game. Mm-hmm. So hats off to Georgia Tech. I'm really, really worried about Louisville. Like Satterfield, I, you know, he's a good coach and they'll they'll figure it out, but I expected more. This almost feels like a regression from year one, which mm-hmm. is real problematic for me if I'm a Louisville fan. Well, it's it's two things for me with Louisville, it's, it, particularly with the offense. Like, I think we could live with it with Louisville if they were losing games 48-45 or something like this. But like Louisville offensively has come way back down to earth from what they were last year. And, and it's two things. A, you know, we said this kind of jokingly on the preview, and we've got kind of a running bit here, but... Malik Cunningham has not been what he was last year. He has not been right. as good. Not yep. as good passing, not as good running. And number two, 
they clearly, clearly are missing Mackay Becton really bad on this offensive line. They are. Yeah, that's real apparent. And, I mean, they're running it okay. Um, and Javion Hawkins has the ability to make a lot of guys miss. Mm-hmm. It, it's more in the pass protection. I mean, Cunningham got killed a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, that's not on the quarterback. That's on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And he took some shots in this game, too, against a decent Georgia Tech defense. And I just worry about Louisville against some of the better defenses on their schedule, trying to keep Cunningham upright for a full season because he he does a pretty good job at you know escaping pressure and that sort of thing. But eventually, your luck runs out with that stuff. It nearly ran out a couple of weeks ago when he almost got killed on the field there. So, yeah, I'm I'm concerned about Louisville. I, I just think offensively, they have a lot more issues than a lot of us were led to believe coming into this season. Mm-hmm. And it's a reason why. Louisville was a trendy pick to be one of the top teams in the ACC because we saw what they were able to do offensively last year. We thought they could build on that. They've regressed offensively and they're still pretty bad defensively. And that's Mm -hmm. a problem. And I I would say, I still believe in this coaching staff at Louisville long term. Definitely. Yep. It's more just that this is a pretty brutal second year back, you know, after a pretty good first year. It, so as much as we thought that they had already kind of got the thing humming, it, it might take a little bit of time to, actually get it sustainably humming here yeah and i think yeah and i think maybe our view on it was skewed a little bit just because like louisville was so bad a couple years ago and it just felt like satterfield turned it around so quickly in year one that we thought that they would build in year two so quickly and in reality like there's still a couple steps that need to be taken by this program before they get to be really good and I think our view of them was skewed because Satterfield and Louisville were so good last year at kind of rebounding from what they were in 2018. Mm-hmm. So I think that has something to do with it too. Just it's going to take a little while, but I, I'm with you. I think the coaching staff's fine. I just think they're not as good as a lot of people thought they were going to be. Yep. Last thing I have on this game, Mike, and, and something that I'm I'm kind of monitoring, and I'm I'm looking at it sideways. Like I'm still not sure I believe it or how real it is. Um, just from a, like a, a just a pure like believability standpoint is Georgia Tech through three conference games currently fifth in the ACC in yards per play on offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like as bad as that offense was last year, this feels like I, like I'm just waiting on the other shoe to drop at some point. But like it doesn't. They keep racking up yards, and it, it really up until now was an issue of finishing drives more so than sustaining them. Well, it's just a huge improvement. I mean, t- offensively, they didn't know what scheme they were running last year. They didn't know who the quarterback was. They didn't know who their playmakers were. And now all of a sudden, you insert a four-star quarterback, and Jameer Gibbs at running back is obviously a really good player. And it's amazing. It's like schematically, they all of a sudden have some talent there, and they know what they want to do. And Sims has shown if he puts it all together – like he can be a pretty good quarterback in this conference. And he's only a freshman. He's four games in, and we can see him flash the talent. So it, it's apparent they're going to be pretty decent here down the line. So it, it's not a huge surprise to me that they're fifth in the ACC. But if you told me, I, I guess, before the season, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah, exactly. Georgia Tech 46, Louisville 27. And Mike, the win total bet is alive and well, baby. Mm-hmm. It is alive we and well. We were all worried about it after that Syracuse game, but it yeah. is alive and Oh man, it, alive and real well. Well, brother, we are not out of the woods yet. That's that's also for sure. So that's that's for damn sure. We need one this more. Is, yeah, and with a couple of freshmen running the show offensively, literally every week is its own adventure. So <laughs> can't wait. Number five, Notre Dame, forty-two, 
Florida State 26. Um, Notre Dame, real good. Wins the game by a lot. Kind of thought they would. That's all fine. Mike, does Florida State – is it me? Or are they starting to like figure a couple things out, at least on offense, with Jordan Travis? Yeah, I mean, this is this is their starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. And um, the one thing that stood out to me just kind of off the field was how encouraging James Blackman was to Jordan uh, Jordan Travis every time he came off the field. Blackman was like the first guy there on the sideline greeting him, which uh, that's good for culture at Florida State. I mean, we talk about the issues they've had there. And if you got the leaders of your team kind of being that supportive of each other, that's huge. Yeah, I think Jordan Travis, they're starting to figure something out offensively through the air for sure um i thought notre dame came into this game obviously not playing in three weeks they looked rusty in the first quarter especially Mm. um just some drop passes and some missed assignments on the offensive line but you know they zeroed in pretty quickly and then offensively had just a ton of success running the football as we thought they would against florida state's defense which hasn't been very good um Kyron Williams, 19 carries for 185. Chris Tyree had a 45-yard touchdown run. He had 11 carries for 103 yards. Just this Notre Dame rushing attack is better than it was a year ago, and I think that obviously raises the ceiling of the offense, which when we were talking in the preseason, that was something that Notre Dame absolutely needed to have because there were questions about the playmakers on the outside. Um, Really good Ian Book game, 16-25, 201, two touchdowns. He had a touchdown run as well. Um, made all the right decisions, didn't turn the football over. He was really good. But, yeah, on the on the Florida State side, having a quarterback in Jordan Travis that you're comfortable with is so crucially important because there was so much inconsistency on offense, but it really does feel like they found something there, Joey. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things they really found, they found Tamori and Terry down the field a few times. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Uh, nine catches for 146 yards and a touchdown. Um, he was a big factor. It was good to see him get involved. Uh, Jordan Travis again almost 20 carries for 96 yards um, and a touchdown I mean he's he's pretty dynamic and it's I almost have a couple of questions about kind of what this coaching staff is doing with the situation you know with the quarterback situation in the same way that we were looking at like Fuente and that Virginia Tech coaching staff last year saying wait where was this hooker kid the whole time like right right in the same way that we're looking at nc state right now like wait where's devin leary been this whole time yeah top five quarterback devin leary and wake a few years ago where's jamie newman been why are you playing this hartman kid um right um yeah a little bit kind of confusing of like why have you not been playing jordan travis because every time he's come in it's been a pretty amazing spark for uh for for the knolls so i don't know I, i i'm impressed with florida state it seems like they're pulling a little bit of something together um, obviously there's a long, a long way to go here in terms of consistency and, and just general development. But I mean, what they were able to do against Notre Dame and, and it's a, again, this is a late stage, fully weaponized, you know, potential playoff team, Notre Dame, right. It's pretty good showing, you know, go into South Bend and do what they did. Um, cover the spread. Yeah. Notre Dame on the other hand runs for a casual 8.4 yards per carry, 353 <laughs> yards and four scores. That'll do, uh, <laughs> Got four sacks again on on Florida State, so I don't know. Pretty pretty good night for for Notre Dame. I think if you're if you're a Notre Dame fan, you might have been kind of expecting a little bit more of an emphatic win. I don't I don't think that that's like some big black eye on Notre Dame as much as it's Florida State might be getting a little bit better than we thought they were. Yeah, and Joey, I'll give you a lot of credit because you've been kind of beating this drum the entire way through that Florida State is going to be a better team in November than they are right now mm-hmm. and what they've been over the past few weeks um, just kind of struggling and you know 
especially a week ago against Jacksonville State, like falling down at halftime, et cetera. And you've kind of been beating that drum all along saying, look, Florida State's going to figure something out with Norvell. And I'm behind that, but it's pretty apparent going up against Notre Dame and kind of putting up this performance. I, I come away from this game very impressed with Florida State because they could have been left for dead after the first half a week ago. Mm-hmm. And they put in Jordan Travis. He leads them back. They go on a really impressive run the second half of a game against an FCS opponent last week, which they needed. Mm-hmm. And then you go into South Bend and you don't totally embarrass yourself against, like you said, potentially playoff caliber team in Notre Dame. It's uh, it's an encouraging performance if you're a Florida State fan. Yeah. Well, and, and before I take too much credit for calling any sort of improvement, like about five minutes before halftime last week against Jacksonville State, I was really not feeling all that great about that whole they'll be better in November thing. Like, Yeah. I mean, be better you didn't text me as such. <laughs> November of 2022, maybe. Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, so, good good win for Notre Dame. Um, keep keep doing what they need to be doing. And Florida State is probably some encouraging signs. So, good stuff there. Yep. Notre Dame, 42. Florida State, 26. We'll keep going here. Boston College, 31. Pittsburgh, 30. Um, lots that went on here to discuss, Mike. Um, really, I guess the, the big story of kind of how the game all went um, is what we should probably start with. Um, yep. Pittsburgh comes back and kicks a 58-yard field goal to send this game into overtime with about 40 seconds to go. Alex Kessman with an absolute bomb of a kick. The only one he made. That that's Yeah, I was going to say, making that kick was the good. The bad was that he missed multiple other field goals and missed an extra point in overtime that ended the game. Yep, probably the worst game of his career. Yeah, not great. Um, Pitt, now for two straight weeks, has lost games that they were favored in. Um, against teams that coming into the year, we would have said Pitt was decidedly better than. Um, the defense, now for two straight weeks, I have been not quite nearly as impressed with as I was the first couple of weeks. Um Pitt has still not covered a spread against an ACC team. Um, Kenny Pickett, after last year or last week, having a, one of the better games we've ever seen him have, reverted back to the Kenny Pickett that we all know and, and get frustrated to watch. Uh, 25 of 48 for 266 and two touchdowns, one pick. So a nice solid five and a half yards per attempt here. Regression to the mean. No kidding. Um, some things never change. Boston College, on the other hand, offensively, like it's it's interesting to watch them because they're not very good at running the ball. They're not really that good at throwing the ball. But man, when they do complete passes throwing it, they go for a long way. <laughs> yeah. We were having kind of an open discussion before we hit record, like, what is this offense actually like? Mm-hmm. Like they're not really like run and gun, run and shoot, whatever. They're not necessarily like air raid. But they're pretty much just totally relying on Phil Dracovic throwing the football. It's, it's which Dracovic and kind of some of his, his arm and his mobility along with Zay Flowers and Hunter Long. That's the entire yeah, offense. That is the entire offense. So Virginia Tech, take some notes. You're going to have to try to utilize at least one of those two guys next week. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Dracovic just basically throws to two guys and they try to run the football to keep the defense off balance, but they don't do it with any level of efficiency or certainty that's going to work out. They just know they have to do it, so they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. And on the other side, like Pittsburgh can't run the ball either. Mm-mm. I think that's been kind of a running 
I really, ever since Quadrialis and Darren Hall left school, they just haven't been able to run the ball. Um, Vincent Davis just ain't it. And I don't know how much to this I blame on the running backs and how much I blame on the offensive line, but at some point, like, y'all got to figure it out. They're just not running the ball well right now. I, I almost wonder if it's like a scheme issue because, like, Pitt, again, for how long were we on this podcast talking about how Pitt's offense was all very run game based and, Again, James Conner, Quadri Allison, Darren Hall, all these guys, and, and they were able to make make hay. And then all of a sudden, last year, Mark Whipple comes in, and all of a sudden, Pitt can't run the ball to save their lives. Right. Like, right. There's something. I feel like there's something to that. Um, yeah. Pitt goes 40 carries for 105 yards and two touchdowns here. That's a grand total of about 2.6 yards per carry. That ain't gonna get it done. No. Um, nope. So I don't know what it is, but Pitt, I mean, it's so frustrating to watch their offense. Like everything for the most part is just like dink and dunk, try to run it, don't really succeed at it, throw some more short passes, maybe stall out, maybe have somebody drop a pass down the field. Very rarely are they able to pick up yards in chunks and eventually they just stall out, have to kick field goals. You can't really score touchdowns. I don't know. I get, I get so frustrated with this Pitt offense. Like, they, yeah, they could and should be better, but it's just it, it, whatever we're whatever we're doing here with Mark Whipple, it's not working. Slants, screen passes, swing passes, running into a brick wall—that is a Pittsburgh offense. Yeah, unfortunately. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I, yeah, I mean, I th- I think in hindsight we were probably a little bit too high on Pitt following their three and zero start. I think it's fair to say. You know, and yet, like, it does feel like the last couple of weeks their defense has taken a couple of steps back, and I don't know yeah. why or how, you know. It seems like the, the secondary is being exploited a little bit. Maybe the pass rush, the, the defensive front also just doesn't – I feel like there's, like, an edge missing with them the last couple of weeks, and I don't know what it is or why. It's funny because I look back on, like, some of these games we've looked at this year, some of these teams we've looked at, and I'm like, you know what, in the moment, knowing what we knew at the time – I feel like that was a fair evaluation. Mm-hmm. And then like a few weeks later, I look back and I'm like, how in the hell did we think that that was a thing? Like, how, how did we think that Pittsburgh was this like really good, like dangerous team in the ACC? And then they followed up with losses to NC State and BC as a favorite. I, I just, I'm real disappointed with Pittsburgh's defense. I'm with you. Just the last couple of weeks have not been very good. And offensively, just the run game really troubles me. And then on the flip side, like BC, they're three and one, like very sneakily. And I'm trying to figure out if they're actually any good or if they're just kind of a product of bad teams they're playing or what. But then at the same time, I see them hanging with North Carolina and North Carolina hangs 56 on Virginia Tech. So, like, I don't know. This I don't is, know. I, I am getting more and more reassured of this every single week, Mike. This is a super weird year. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's teams coming out so flat on random weeks and just getting upset and, and all this stuff. Like, trying to, like, assess what a team is is not, like, a – not really a big-picture thing as much as, like, a week-to-week thing right now. It yeah. feels like um, – It feels like defenses are – I mean, you saw it just kind of across the country this weekend in different games, like the Alabama-Ole Miss game. It was, like, first one to 100 wins. Yeah. And, and I just feel like overall this year across college football, and especially in the ACC, like, defenses have certainly been optional. But I feel like the thing that separates the ACC from other conferences is I 
also feel like offenses have been optional too, outside of like North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, and then occasionally Miami. It's like offenses have also been optional. Mm-hmm. Like there, we've seen a lot of bad offensive football this year in, in the ACC. Yeah. And I just feel like it's a product of it being a weird year and shortened offseason, that sort of thing. It does feel like there's been a ton of overs too, though, for what that's worth. Yeah, and like low low total lines too. Like yeah. how many times have we sat here and I know we're getting way, way off topic here, but mm-hmm. how many times have we sat and we, we talk about the totals and we're like, that seems low. That also seems low. That really seems low. I'll take like, the under. I'll and take the under. And you can keep my money. Yeah, shout out Pitt for losing me three bets last week and two of them on under bets. So still that's mad at Pitt, kinda, yeah. right. So like, case in point, just real weird year. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm right there with you. I, I'm trying to figure out what the hell Boston College is right now. And yeah, they're three and one, and they've been covering and they've been doing all this stuff. But there's something I, I'm still not really buying it. I don't know. It's like a weird game of Clue. Of like, uh, I don't know if I can trust you. Yeah. Um, it- and it's, I guess we're going to find out pretty quickly because I think you and I both think Virginia Tech's pretty good, at least on offense. And Boston College is, as we sit here on Sunday night recording the recap, BC has opened up as a 10.5 point dog next Saturday. So yeah, we're going to find out real quick what BC is and I guess consequently what Virginia Tech is as well. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, on the other yeah. hand, I absolutely cannot wait to break down Pittsburgh as a 10 point underdog at Miami next week. <laughs> Yeah, because that's never gone poorly for Miami ever. No kidding. That game could go in all sorts of different directions. Miami should win by 100, but they probably won't. Yeah. I was going to say they might not. They probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. All right. Boston College 31, Pitt 30 in overtime. Um, Yeah. I don't know how much Boston College won that game as much as Pitt lost it, but oh, well. Shows up the same on the record sheet. So That's that's right. NC State 38, Virginia 21. Um, another uh, NC State keeps rolling here, Mike. I think they decidedly have something with Devin Leary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't great in this game, but they've got something, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he, was, he wasn't great. He made a couple big-time throws, though. I mean, 11-25, mm-hmm. 184, two touchdowns and a pick, and I still come away thinking he's a top-five quarterback in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? Like, Malik Cunningham took – I mean, name that Cunningham again – but um, Yikes. yeah, <laughs> Cunningham comma M for Louisville um, has clearly taken a step back and Hendon Hooker hasn't really played. So I'm ready to put Devin Leary in the top five quarterback in the ACC discussion because mm-hmm. he was basically perfect last week. And then he follows it up with a decent enough performance through the air to get NC State's offense moving early in the game. And then offensively, just running the football. Zonovan, Zonovan, Bam Knight, just 18 for 101, two touchdowns, had a 35-yard touchdown run. That was really good. Uh, Ricky Person, 14 carries, 48 yards. Wasn't as good in this game, but NC State running the ball and having the ability of Devin Leary in the play-action game has been really important. Mm -hmm. It's something they were missing with Bailey Hockman. So I come away really impressed with NC State. I I thought Virginia was a better team here and would win for NC State to go out and just kind of jump out to an early two touchdown lead in the first quarter and then just kind of sit on Virginia and not really give them any sort of chance in this game. I thought was really impressive. Um, losing Brennan Armstrong early, like is never good, but he also threw two picks in this game for UVA. So it's not like he was lighting it on fire when he was in either. Yep. And the passing game continues to be an issue for UVA. Um, <laughs> 
Lindell Stone threw it 54 times in this game for 240 yards. Mike, if I had offered you over under 50 and a half passing attempts for Lindell Stone this weekend, how many mortgages would you have taken out to bet the under on that? I would have put my future children's college tuition, <laughs> um, my future wife's engagement ring. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this. The backup quarterback I, threw 54 I, passes in this game. And yeah, if you told me the backup quarterback was going to be Lindell Stone, not Keaton Thompson, I would have been like, wait a second, what? <laughs> like, I forgot that he was there. Where the hell has he been? Yeah. So that's where we're at here. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm also I, maybe a Virginia fan who's you know, banana slug or somebody can tweet at us and let us know what was going on with Keaton Thompson. He might have been one of those COVID cases too, like Virginia Tech's or Virginia Tech's been struggling with it too. Uh, Virginia's been struggling with COVID cases. I know they had some guys missing for this game. So maybe Keaton Thompson is one of those quarantine guys. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised to see Lindell Stone and not Thompson off the bench. So I'm sure there's a reason why. So somebody let us know. But um Virginia's inability to run the football in this game was obviously problematic, but it's a negative game script too. Like in a lot of cases, you know, when you get down so quickly, it's hard to just pin it on a lack of a running game. You know, we talked about Virginia Tech not giving Khalil Herbert enough carries early. I mean, they fell down so quickly. It was the same case here um, with UVA, and they never really got the running game going. And I thought offensively through the first few weeks of the year, like their running game's been improved. And it seems like Wayne Tulapapa has been better but he only had 12 carries for 35 yards. I mean, that's shades of last season. Mm-hmm. So against an NC State defense that we don't think is any good either, by the way. Yeah. So um, passing the ball was a lot better, but rushing the ball, I, I expected more out of Virginia based on what we had seen earlier this year. I mean, Virginia, for what it's worth, too, I mean, got themselves in such a hole early on. I mean, yeah. Virginia's first half drive chart. Three and out, four plays interception, three and out, 12 plays turnover on downs, two plays interception, three plays or three and out, nine plays touchdown. Like they had two drives that went for more than four plays and only one of them did they actually get points on. Right. So, you know, I mean, combine that with being minus three in turnovers. um, I mean, yeah, you outgained NC State by 40 yards, but again, minus three in turnovers. Brennan Armstrong goes out with an injury in the second quarter. I mean, just the whole thing. I think I saw I've, uh, Caroline Darney, I think, uh, of SB Nation, describe the whole thing as just like a complete tire fire. I mean, it was this is a worst case scenario kind of game for Virginia. They got down pretty quickly, and it was just it was just bad from there. So yeah, yeah. Um, Caroline's a good follow. Yeah, make sure I, to recommend it um, at yeah. Ace Darney, I believe. Um, yeah. I yeah, I don't have a ton to say about this game. I. I don't really know necessarily which one of these is actually the full-on better team over the course of the year. It's, it might be NC State at this point, but I don't know. They, these Both of these teams, I think they're kind of hanging around that middle group of the ACC. Um, I don't think NC State's necessarily as good as just blanket 3-1 and one would say. I right. don't think Virginia's as bad as 1-2 and two would say. You know, it's... It yeah. hurts Virginia that you've had one of those three games against Clemson already. So like, Right, right. And I will say that you know, out of these two teams, I think Virginia is a bit closer to expectations that we expected coming into the year than NC State. I mean, NC State going three and one in the first four games of the year. I mean, we talked about with Stephen Muma before the year, and we were like, oh, yeah, maybe like two and two or something. Like to be three and one through this stretch is 
pretty impressive for Dave Doran. Yeah. Um, given the expectations that everybody set for NC State, it's pretty funny because like going into the, you know, we were talking about the recap um, last week. We were saying, okay, like Justin Fuente, like Virginia Tech's been down 20 plus players in two consecutive weeks. And I mentioned that he would be kind of my, my pick for ACC coach of the year in the early going. But I've kind of flipped on that like literally a week later. I think Dave Doran is just a coach you got to monitor. Like I wasn't expecting NC State to be as as good as they are through four games. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very curious to see where these teams go from here. NC State gets Duke next week before going to North Carolina the week after that, and then Miami two weeks after that. So, right, another one more week of uh, fairly you know workable competition, we'll say, and then. It, ramps up quite a bit from there so we'll see how it goes yep nc state 38 virginia 21 uh mike that's all i got um <laughs> what, do you got? what are you laughing for <sighs> oh crap if uh we don't discuss the duke syracuse game did it actually happen <laughs> if, if a duke syracuse game happens and we don't talk about it like did it make a sound uh duke 38 syracuse 24 um, this game like looked like it was going Syracuse's way there for like a minute, and then it didn't. Um, Duke, Duke actually handled this game pretty well. Um, turned the ball over four times and still won the game by two touchdowns. That's impressive. Um, 645 yards of offense like made Syracuse look bad. Uh, by the way, Tommy DeVito left in this game, and it's looking like they might be without him for quite a while. Yeah, which... I mean, some weeks I'm like, all right, like, is it that big of a loss? Then other <laughs> weeks I'm like, oh, God, like, what are they going to do? I mean, Tommy DeVito, to his credit, I mean, he was 13 to 26. So, I mean, those passing numbers aren't great, but he did have 255 yards and two touchdowns before he left the game. So that's that, that's fine. Fine. Um, the story of the game is Duke's rushing attack. Syracuse couldn't stop it. Um, Deion Jackson, 30 for 169. Mateo Durant, 23 for 163 and two touchdowns. Duke was giving Virginia Tech's rushing defense problems last week, so it's not a huge surprise that Duke ran the ball well again here. And I honestly think that's helping out Chase Bryce a lot. The rushing game Mm -hmm. for Duke has gotten going over the last couple of weeks, um, which if it keeps getting going, you take a little pressure off Chase Bryce, and maybe he doesn't turn the ball over quite as much. He did have another interception in this game, though, so it kind of is what it is. But I thought Duke's offense showed well against a really bad Syracuse defense. You had to have this win, and you got it. Well, Bryce had the interception and lost a fumble. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> winless no more, though, Joey. I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Sure. Duke's offense still <laughs> clearly flawed here. Um, and yet, again, I mean, this is the best they've looked running the ball at least all of this year, if not going into last year. Um, I mean, they've struggled with that for a while, so... I don't know if I necessarily think Duke has like turned some corner here. Um, no. I feel like Syracuse might be as bad as we thought they were. These are two of the worst teams in the ACC, and they unfortunately had to play each other this weekend. So, And one of them already beat Georgia Tech because I can't have nice things. We could have already had the over by now, Mike, if Georgia Tech just shows up in the Carrier Dome. But no. Yeah. yeah. No, we can't I- have nice things. I mean, Georgia Tech might be Syracuse's only win this year. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> not great. Actually, I, I mean, know exactly how I feel about that. Yeah, and it's not great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Georgia Tech was only 
Georgia Tech was one of the Citadel's only wins last year, too. Oh. So. I will fight you. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. Uh, whatever. Duke, 38. Syracuse, 24. Uh, Mike, that's actually all I've got on games. You want to uh, give out some awards? I do. We got a new one. We do have a new one. Um, and we'll introduce that here in just a second. Let's start out with the uh, the oldie but the goodie. The yep. Go ACC moment of the week. Um, we've, we've mentioned this before, but, Mike, we don't really often get a chance to give this award to Clemson. But, damn, if there wasn't a great opportunity this week. Uh, going we in, found it. Yeah, we found it. Going into halftime this week, Clemson calls timeout with about three seconds left to go on the clock. They're going to they're gonna line up B.T. Potter for a 61-yard field goal in on what was like a little bit of like a soggy night in Clemson and, and all this stuff. Not only does B.T. Potter not make the field goal, the field goal gets blocked, and Miami picks it up and runs it in for a touchdown. And immediately, like on the way into the tunnel for halftime, we get an interview with Dabo, and it was, uh, what was the thought on, uh, on kicking the field goal right there? And it was like, I made a terrible decision. Yeah. Go ACC to that, Dabo. It was. It was. And it was funny after the game, too, because Dabo was like, yeah, we had some field goal issues tonight. I'm thinking about never kicking a field goal again. Mm-hmm. And I I have a hard time blaming it all on BT Potter. Got to be totally honest with you. I feel like college kickers have been extra college kickery this year. Yeah. I mean, anytime you attempt a damn near 60-yarder, like you're kicking it low to begin with. Yeah. So go ACC to you, Clemson, for uh... – trying that and by the way that was Miami had three points on the board at that point they only scored one other touchdown the entire night so like you it was literally a thing of like you've just been stomping them into the ground for the entire first half and you just let them in the game gave them some momentum right going to halftime like dude come on be better didn't have to do that really didn't it was charitable though um the Brian Van Gorder Memorial you tried award Mike speaking of college kickers Alex Kessman for Pitt uh, poor guy. I yeah. I I feel a little guilty here. I feel bad for him, but at the same time, damn, dude, like missing a couple of field goals that would have maybe given your team a win, and then you go into overtime, just need to kick your extra point, and shanked it. I will shout out Kessman for making the field goal to force overtime in the first place, but shanking an extra point after missing two field goals earlier in the night, never a good luck. No. Never yeah, a good luck. That 58-yarder that he hit to send it to overtime was like, you know, it's it's up there with like kick of the year in college football. Like that was, it was a bomb, and it was probably good from like 63, 64. Like he had plenty of leg on that. That was amazing. It was it, a great kick. Yeah. And yeah. then he missed an extra point. And then he missed the lost. extra point. It was the most Pittsburgh way to lose ever, by the way. That's that's valid. Very Pittsburgh way to lose. Um, Mike, we do have a new award, as <laughs> you mentioned. Um, yeah. and we've we've discussed this a little bit. We've kind of alluded to it. We feel like we should probably just go ahead and um, bring this into basketball conference canon, as it were, as a as a proper, formal, official award. Would you like to introduce it, Mike? I would. Um, I texted Joey earlier this week, um, actually on Monday. We had already recorded the last recap, so mm-hmm. we couldn't use this last week. Um, I texted Joey Monday morning in all caps. I said, Joey, because I uh, this just kind of came to me. And then Joey said, it's brilliant. We have to use it. 100%. I would like to introduce to you all the Kobe Bryant Memorial. <laughs> Kobe. 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. I stole that. I stole that. The Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter Award. <laughs> the Kobe, yeah. The Volume Shooter of the Week. Um, Joey, I have an inaugural participant, and it's more like participants. Well, let's explain first what this award is. Yeah, so this goes to a team or a player who really tried to establish a run or a passing game and really just ran the same thing over and over and over again with little to no efficiency. Um, A good example last week would have been um, like (laughs) basically throwing the ball like 70 or 80 times and then just scoring no points. A good example this week would be like Mississippi State like mm-hmm. scoring two points against Kentucky. Yeah. They threw the ball 70 times and had no offensive points. Tons of um, attempts, minimal production. Right. A good example of that this week in the ACC would be uh, Boston College's rushing attack with David Bailey and Pat Garwo the third. Um, 29 yeah. carries for 72 yards. Yeah. that That's... Um, hey, they had 72 yards. That's great. It took Kobe. 29 carriers to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Kobe Russ Westbrook scored 28 points in that game yeah it took him 40 shots to do it so exactly yeah exactly so the Kobe Bryant Memorial volume shooter of the week um, in my opinion Joey unless you have any other um, you know nominees for this uh, this would go to Boston College rushing attack for me yeah but no that's that's you might you might have another you might have another one though no that's that's a great a great candidate there David Bailey Pat Garwo 29 carries for 72 yards nice um I'm going to say this. I'm going to put this in kind of as an honorable mention for this award. Uh-huh. Yep. With the caveat that I I feel like we're in a little bit of danger of only giving this award out like six times before we have to officially rename it after this individual. Mm-hmm. This might soon be the Kenny Pickett Memorial <laughs> Volume Shooter Award. 48 attempts for 266 yards. That's not, not even close to six yards in attempt passing. No. Which, man... <laughs> Man, you were doing, you were throwing it a lot, and you're not really getting a whole lot anywhere with it. So yeah, that ain't it, Chief. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, no, I think I think the Boston College backfield there weren't getting much out of it. But that didn't stop him from trying, Mike. That's didn't correct. Stop him from trying. Hey, they got to keep him off balance somehow with that terrible rushing attack. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, who's your team of the week? My team of the week's North Carolina. Okay. Um, didn't really see much out of them the first two weeks of the year offensively. They explode for 56 points and 656 yards of offense. They're my team of the week. Uh, yep. Beating a, what we believe to be is a good Virginia Tech team. Yep. Yeah, very good. That was one of my probably primary candidates there. Um, you know, seeing what they did, you know, and, and kind of being a little bit more along the lines of what we expected them to be relative yep. to what you know they were coming into the year and what they've been so far. Yeah, really good showing from North Carolina. Um, definite team of the week candidate there. Um, mine, I'm just going to go ahead and take my yellow jackets, um, seeing them finally break 30 points, um, and, and take advantage of opportunities. They didn't turn the ball over somehow <laughs> they've been turning the ball over like it was their jobs all year. And now they come out there and throw a, a, a clean game and, and win it by almost 20 points. Like go figure. Yeah. So, above the line, baby. Yeah. So I'm going to take Georgia tech as my, uh, my team of the week. Uh, yep. I'm just going to not pass up that opportunity. I, Hard to blame you. <laughs> Who's your player of the week, Mike? I'm going to cheat a little bit. Can I cheat? You can cheat. All right. Um, North Carolina running backs, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Um, 
a combined 37 carries for, uh, let's see, carry the one, 383 yards and four touchdowns. Wow. Man, yeah. Um, I guess we can name a disappointment of the week. That could be another award. That would be the Virginia Tech <laughs> rushing defense <laughs> going hand-in-hand hand with that. But, yeah, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, I think, are co-recipients of the player of the week in my book. Well, if you get co-recipients, I'll, I'll take Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs for Georgia Tech. Um, I mean, put up a combined, I don't know, like almost 400 yards of production like by themselves. Uh, it yep. was a pretty impressive showing from from those two guys on Friday night. Really fun to watch. Um, a couple of just, again, honorable mention candidates. Uh, Zay Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if, if I wasn't like real hyped up on Georgia Tech's game Friday night, he probably gets it for me. Six catches for a casual 162 yards and three touchdowns, Mike. Yeah. If Pitt yeah. can't guard him, I'm not sure who can. Yeah, no, nah, I agree. But Pittsburgh's defense also might be secretly garbage at this point. Yeah. Um, also, for all the Clemson fans mad that we didn't say Trevor Lawrence, like, we get it. He's, in my book, probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. So I don't, yeah, I mean, I can pick him every week. Speaking of renaming awards, this is yeah. the Trevor Lawrence Memorial Player of the Week trophy. Um, yeah, no kidding. 29-41 for 292 and three scores. And did, I mean, just really didn't make much of any mistakes that I saw. Um, right. Travis Etienne, seventeen carries for one forty nine and two scores. Again, it was, it wasn't always you know consistent big gains, but I mean, between that and getting eight catches for seventy three yards, I mean, I, I thought he was huge in that just blowout of Miami. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, since we're just naming players who had really good games, Scary Terry in a losing effort, nine yeah. for one forty six and a touchdown. I mean, there were a lot of really good. Kyron Williams, nineteen for one eighty five, two touchdowns. A lot of really good individual performances this week in the ACC. Yep. And just because I, I want to try to avoid Cam from like burning our podcast down, um, not a lot of bright spots for Miami in this game, but Bubba Bolden was really good. Yeah, continues to be, yeah. by the way. He's he's like first-round draft quality. Um, he, he's going to probably be an all-ACC safety, so good on you, Bubba Bolden. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of good individual performances, some pretty questionable team performances this week, but hey. A fun week. We learned a lot. I feel like um, I, I this was. I think this is by far the best week of ACC football we've had yet this year. Definitely, and just a lot of really exciting or at least entertaining games at the very least. And um, you know, looking ahead to to next week. I mean, not as many high profile ranked matchups, but still some intriguing games on the schedule. North Carolina, Florida State, which. You know, UNC could be in a little bit of a letdown spot there with Florida State kind of emerging offensively. You got Virginia Tech and Boston College could be pretty decent. And Miami playing Pitt, like we mentioned, like that could get weird. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least Georgia Tech won last week because they play Clemson. So, (laughs) that's, you know, Georgia Tech's turn to take their lumps. Oh, well. I'll say they uh, open as a 27 and a half point underdog. So, uh, Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> I, Clemson I agree. One. I agree. Total 60. Take the over. Uh, Clemson could get there by themselves. May, may well. Yeah. Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and preview week six? Yeah, we, we need to do that. Yeah. It's another, uh, another interesting week. This is a full, full slate. Um, a solid eight games. We do have an out of conference game to be discussed, but, other than that, I mean, we are squarely into the meat of this ACC schedule, so a lot of uh, a lot of good matchups, I think, to talk about next week. So we'll come back and do that. Yeah, Liberty's favorite against Syracuse. Ooh, 
Oh man, I'm just now seeing that. Oh gosh, we got to have a conversation <laughs> about that on <laughs> on the preview. Yep, we're going to have a big time discussion on the preview here in a couple of days. Ooh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back and do that. Mike, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, all those good places, and especially on the Anchor app. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, you want to tell the people where they can find us on the social medias? Yes, sir. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and uh, preview some games? Yeah, man. A few, few days here. We'll be uh, back in the saddle. And again, some interesting games coming up here in the ACC. Not as many ranked on ranks, like we mentioned, but we'll find out some more about some of these teams that we have some questions about. Mm-hmm. Lots to be learned. So we will come yep. back and we will talk then. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Yeah!